This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. Blech. And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty. Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get hefty, ultra-strong with new Fabuloso lemon scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. Blog Talk Radio. Hello there from the winter wonderland of Portland, Maine. That's where Lives in the Balance is located, our offices anyways. This is Dr. Ross Green. We've survived the blizzard. It's actually quite beautiful here in Maine. And um, we are back on the air with another edition of Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students. Glad that you are able to listen in today. Uh, And today would not be a terrible day to call in with any questions. Um, That phone number is 646-727-2691. You know, if you want a um, reminder of this program every week, um, you can get it by Twitter. I promise it's the only thing I'll tweet to you. Um, Why fill the Twitter airwaves with the gunk that usually gets tweeted? No, we'll only tweet you to remind you that this program, the parents program, and the um, issues in children's mental health program is on the air. And to remind you that you can call in if you'd like. Um, you can go to the Lives in the Balance website to the radio programs page and click and sign up to get the tweet sent. I um, have been doing this for a while, but I've only been a public about the fact that I'm tweeting for, oh, the last two months or so. <sighs> well, um, yes, um, we survived the blizzard, and yes, have been shoveling out The few inches of snow we got again this morning, of course, didn't help matters much, but the roads were a mess anyways, Um, and it really is quite beautiful. Here's my plan for today. We've got six emails stacked up. If no one calls, we will get all six emails answered. If people call, we probably won't get all six emails answered. That number again, 646-727-2691. Let's start answering some questions. Hi, Dr. Green. I attended one of your workshops in Seaforth, Ontario, and have been very optimistic with the entire process. However, we have a boy in grade two who seems to have some mental health issues. I am CPI trained, so when his educational assistant needs support, I am required to help her. This boy bites and kicks and swears at us, and we have on many occasions had to restrain him together and put him in a calming room. I'm very sorry about that. 
I started to notice these issues were happening at the same time of day during his math class, so I decided to try this process with him, even though some people were a little skeptical. I assume by this process you are referring to solving problems collaboratively. Believe it or not, he mentioned that he gets really upset when he has to make corrections. I suggested that maybe we could avoid having him make corrections or maybe decrease the amount of corrections, but his classroom teacher insists that it needs to be done. So my, I guess my question to you is, how do I implement this process when teachers are not completely on board? Um, here we go. Uh, well, we've got to get the teacher on board. We've got to get the teacher on board. There's no two ways about it. We've got to get the teacher on board. And... Um, well, the big question is, why is the teacher not on board? We covered this on the parents program this morning, a related topic, which is that um, sometimes both parents aren't on board, and we need to find out why when one parent is resisting solving problems collaboratively and viewing kids through the prism of lagging skills, what it is that they're struggling with not what the kid's struggling with, what the adult is struggling with about those lenses and that approach. Um, we need to do the same thing here. Um, if a kid is letting us know that uh, he or she is struggling with something, now, uh, you were the one who suggested that the correcting just get dropped what the teacher may be letting you know is that that is not a mutually satisfactory solution. So that doesn't necessarily mean that the teacher isn't on board. It may simply mean that the teacher doesn't find your solution to be acceptable. Um, so I'd love to know whether it's just that the teacher's not on board or whether the teacher doesn't find the solution to be mutually satisfactory. Um, that's not the dropping, the correcting is not the only potential solution. You have others. And um, that's something we would need to find out. Teacher may be delighted to come up with solutions that might actually work for everybody. It's just that dropping the corrections completely may not be it. If the teacher... If that's the issue, the solution is not mutually satisfactory, we'd want to know that, see if we could come up with something that is satisfactory. If the teacher is not on board and is saying things like, he needs to do what everybody else in the class needs to do, no exceptions, that's a not on board statement. A, I'm not okay with that solution, but I'd love to be able to work with you, response would be, um, listen, I'd love to be able to work with you, it's just... Um, I'm wondering if there's a way for him to do corrections under circumstances that are, well, more satisfactory to me without abandoning all corrections. But i got to say this. All of what I'm describing now would be far better than having to restrain a kid and throw him in a quiet room. And I think that's the whole point for all school systems that are still restraining and secluding kids. If you haven't figured out what skills the kid is lacking yet, and you haven't 
identified unsolved problems yet, and you haven't started trying to solve those problems collaboratively, well, then you're pretty much guaranteeing that you're going to continue restraining and secluding. There's no question that sometimes it takes a while to get some people on board. Those are people frequently who have some misconceptions about the model, haven't had it explained to them well yet, had it explained well, but still there were things they didn't understand, heard what they thought they were going to hear and not the reality. We need to find out why somebody's not on board if somebody's not on board and then try to help them through it. Once people understand what this model is about, it is rare for people not to be on board once they understand it. Once we get a handle on what it is that they're struggling with, I find they're on board. Here's another. Uh, okay, let me read the... Here we go. This is someone asking help with a particular boy. The five-year-old client has been expelled. Dr. Green, the five, the, this five-year-old child has been expelled from two different preschools and has now been suspended from kindergarten twice. He has real difficulties with transitions and being asked, well, now there's, i got to stop there. There's proof that expulsion and suspension works really well. Okay, enough with the editorial comments. Back to the email. He has real difficulties with transitions and being asked to do something he doesn't want to do. More editorial commenting. You may know this already, but we need to get more specific than that about the unsolved problems. Uh, back to the email. I have observed his behavior in my office. Mom has reported similar behavior at home, and the school has also observed this behavior, hence the suspensions. Let's say that it is time for him to leave my office, and Mom and I say it's time to put away the toys and leave. What I observe is the usual meltdown. First, his eyebrows narrow. Second, he emits a sound like an animal growl, and then he begins kicking and hitting. At first, I thought that this was an inability to control himself. But now... But lately, I think the look in his eyes indicates purposeful behavior. After he settles down, he usually hides behind a chair and curls up. It usually takes 15 to 35 minutes to get him to calm down. He has tried to kick me and gotten me once. He really beats up on his mom with his hits and kicks. He has also exhibited this same behavior at school, sometimes hitting another child, but more often hitting and kicking his teacher, her aide, or the school psychologist. I have seen him a total of six times. Two of those six times we have been able to avert a meltdown. The first time, visit four, I sang a song, and he became engaged in it and didn't get into a full-blown meltdown. The second time, I told him that we would have to get ready for him to leave. I said he might feel frustrated by having to leave, and I'd like him to tell me using words about his frustration. He did not go into meltdown mode. I visited his school to observe him and also talked to the teacher, psychologist, and principal, psychologist is very much a behaviorist and is on the verge of diagnosing him with oppositional defiant disorder. Also, his dad believes that he is just a normal boy and that women don't know how to handle him. His dad is very intimidating to the boy and uses a lot of punishment with him. Mom is very permissive. 
I believe in your model, but really need help in implementing it and teaching it to his parents and the school personnel. Let's do it. All right. Probably should have saved my editorial comments for the end, but sometimes it's harder to resist. First of all, whatever is going on with this kid, he's five. Expelling and suspending him isn't going to fix it. All right. But now let's keep going. Um, I'm not sure what you are seeing in his eyes, but I wouldn't rely on the look on anybody's face or in the look in anybody's eyes to determine that behavior such as that which you are describing is purposeful. I'm having trouble comprehending what would be purposeful about taking 15 to 35 minutes to calm down. I, I just am having difficulty fathoming where the secondary gain is there, where the competing contingencies are there. Um, I don't get it. So the likelihood that I would see that in that kid's eyes and come to the conclusion that behavior such as that which you are describing is purposeful, slim and none, 15 to 35 minutes to get him to calm down. And it sounds like it's happening under highly predictable circumstances, which tells you that there's something about these circumstances that are demanding skills of this little kid that outstrip those that he has to respond adaptively to the demands being placed upon him. Um, it sounds like once he is upset... He can be quite physically aggressive, which simply says to me that he is further down the spectrum of looking bad than we might prefer. It sounds like there are some things that you are doing that avert a full-blown meltdown. The example you gave is singing a song. Uh, The second example you gave is that you'd like him to tell you in words about his frustration and he'd not go into meltdown mode. What that tells me is that he's willing to talk about what's getting in his way. Now, I do have a timing issue here. Um, I think we need highly specific examples of transitions he's having difficulty making. Transitions in general is not going to cut it. That sounds like there's many of them. So difficulty making transitions, while that is a lagging skill, it's not going to pass muster as an unsolved problem. We need to know all of the specific unsolved problems that are the specific transitions that he's having trouble making. Each of them is a separate unsolved problem because we're going to operate on the assumption that he's having difficulty making those transitions for different reasons. We might be wrong about that, but that's what we're going to assume in the beginning. Um, One transition he's having difficulty making, the one that you are describing, and the only one that you're describing specifically, is when it's time to put the toys away in your office and leave. It's the only one. We need... We need lots of specifics on other transitions he's having difficulty making. Now, we don't want to talk to him about what's frustrating about that when it's time to make the transition. We want to be proactive about it. What One thing's clear about this kid. You wait until he's upset 
and the conversation is, well, in this case, it might take place, but it's still bad timing. We want to talk with him about each transition he's having difficulty making proactively before he's in the midst of having to make it. Now you've got some other. So that's that's part number one. That's part number two. Part number one is suspension and expulsion isn't going to fix any of what we're talking about here. Uh, part number two is we need highly specific examples of unsolved, of uh, transitions he's having difficulty making so that we can talk with him proactively about each of them. All right, part number three, the psychologist is very much a behaviorist and is on the verge of diagnosing him with oppositional defiant disorder. Well, all that disorder is going to tell you is that he's pitching a lot of fits, refusing to do as he's told, and defying adult rules and requests. But he's only doing that under specific conditions, which means, as I always say in my talks, he doesn't have full-time oppositional defiant disorder. At worst, he has part-time oppositional defiant disorder. And when does he look like he has oppositional defiant disorder? When the world is demanding skills that he doesn't have. So we got the fact that the psychologist is behaviorist doesn't necessarily translate into why the psychologist wants to give him a psychiatric diagnosis. Those don't necessarily go together. Um, Sometimes people who call themselves behaviorists are very inclined toward incentive programs to try to punish behaviors that are undesirable and reward behaviors that are desirable. That's what behaviorist sometimes means, but we're not going to Assume that behaviorist means anything. And then here's part. So we got to see if the psychologist is open to viewing the world through the prism of lagging skills and unsolved problems and open to the possibility of solving problems, not unilaterally, not through imposition of adult will, not through use of incentives, but rather through collaboration proactive collaboration. And now part number four. Uh, Dad believes that his son is just a normal boy. Women don't know how to handle him. Apparently Dad has his method, but if he's very intimidating to the boy and uses a lot of punishment with him, and if the boy is still having difficulties outside the presence of dad, then dad may be thinking that if everybody would just do things the way he does things, it would go fine. But we may need to point out to dad that what he's doing doesn't seem to be generalizing beyond him, and that what he's doing may not be options for other people people and if we sat with the dad and we had the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems in front of him and in front of everybody else who's in the meeting and we went down the list of lagging skills and we thought about the skills that this kid didn't have if we thought about the unsolved problems that were associated with each lagging skill I wonder if he, like so many people, would ultimately be persuaded that his son was lacking skills, was a normal boy in many ways except for the skills he's lacking, that this is not about women not knowing how to handle him, but rather that 
This is a kid who needs a different approach that can be implemented by all and not just him. Mom being permissive probably provides some nice balance to dad in the family, but neither intimidation nor permissiveness is going to fix this situation. So while I appreciate the balance, neither end of the poles, neither of the two poles, permissiveness nor being intimidating and using a lot of punishment are going to get the job done. I hope that helps. But you are welcome to call into the program anytime to get more help with it. Once again, the number is 646-727-2691. Let's go to another. Hang on one second. I have to um, designate that this has been answered because we let people know that their questions have been answered on this program. Here we go. Now, this one has a flag next to it, but I don't think I answered it. Hold on, let me take a look here. I had this one set to answer for today. Uh, I think I did answer this one. All right, I'm not going to answer it today. It's got a flag next to it. I don't answer flagged questions. Here's another. Uh, Dr. Green, I'm planning a presentation for school staff to introduce the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems in Plan B. It strikes me that adults who work quite six... I love this question strikes me that adults who work quite successfully with most children often use what I would call lucky plan A. Much of the time, these adults are able, through observation, intuition, and reasoning, to come up with the child's concerns, the unsolved problem, and a solution that is successfully implemented. These individuals can be conditioned to believe that they somehow have the skills to solve kids' problems, and when they encounter a child with whom their strategy does not work, when they are predisposed to use progressively harsh, less thoughtful Hold on, let me read this with better. Um, And when they encounter a child with whom their strategy does not work, they are predisposed to use progressively harsh, less thoughtful, and increasingly unsuccessful plan A. I love it, and I agree. Uh, As I always say, I think you can get away with plan A with a regular old kid because he's got the skills to deal with having will imposed upon him and with adults being unidirectional, and with adults being geniuses and coming up with solutions that are uninformed, you can get away with a lot of that with a kid who um, has the skills to deal with it. The interesting part here that I'm not so sure about is how often these adults, through observation, intuition, and reasoning, actually do know what the kids' concerns are. That's the only part that I am less certain about. I agree with you completely. You can get away with plan A with a regular old kid. Regular old kids have the skills to deal with it. But I actually think that even with regular old kids, we are missing the boat completely on what their concerns are. Completely. I think a lot of regular old kids look at adults who impose solutions and say to themselves, you have absolutely no idea what's getting in my way. 
your solution makes no sense. I'm not going to say anything because I'm a regular old kid and you can get away with plan A with me. I'm not going to say anything. But you missed the boat completely on me. I know a regular old kid. Um, his school is telling him that he needs to do a certain thing to be more organized and on top of his assignments. He disagrees. So he's not doing it. He's pretending he's doing it. Because he thinks they've missed the boat on exactly what's getting in his way. I think that happens a lot. Which is why I think Plan B is just as applicable to the kids with whom you can get away with Plan A as it is to the kids who you can't get away with Plan A. Why would we want to blow kids' concerns off the table even if they're not going to blow up over it? Why wouldn't we want the information about what's getting in their way, even if we can get away with it? Why wouldn't we want to collaborate with them on solutions that are realistic and mutually satisfactory, even if we can get away with not doing it? Solving problems collaboratively isn't just for behaviorally challenging kids. It's for all kids. Thank you for writing. Um, I enjoyed reading your email a great deal, and I hope it's obvious I also enjoyed responding to it. Um, Yes, I do think there are a lot of adults out there who think they know what kids' concerns are. And my experience, and this counts for me too, is that we adults are usually wrong about what we think kids' concerns are. We usually get it wrong. I could give more examples, but they, well, never mind. We are waiting for my next question to load here. Here we go. Dr. Green, what do you think about a school district that has completely adopted PBIS, that's positive behavioral interventions and supports, uh, I'm saying that part, now in parentheses in the email, heavy on rewards and punishments and whole school behavior initiatives and parentheses, deciding to use your model as an intervention with the most challenging so-called Tier 3 kids? That's the question. Here's my answer. Um, First of all, this may go without saying, but While it is true that a lot of schools that are implementing PBIS, and that's a very popular initiative in schools these days, while it is true that many of those schools are interpreting PBIS to mean that they should be rewarding and punishing a lot, um, there are a lot of schools that have come to that interpretation, but And there's a lot of literature in PBIS, in the PBIS literature, about using reward and punishment programs. Um, As the originators of PBIS will tell you, PBIS is a structure, a framework, not 
supposedly a set of interventions. It's a structure. Tiers. Uh, at one tier, you're implementing interventions that apply to all kids. At another, a smaller group of kids. At another, individual kids. The second two tiers are for the kids who aren't benefiting maximally from the first tier. That's the framework. And on the surface, a rather simple one. So now comes the question, why is it that so many schools that are implementing PBIS are basically doing what they were doing before PBIS, except now they are calling what they're doing tiers based on who's getting what. Why is that? Could it be that many schools want to say that they're implementing PBIS but aren't really changing anything about how they go about doing school discipline? They've just taken what they were doing already and divided it into three tiers. Seen the same thing happen with response to intervention, by the way. In fact, I was sitting in a meeting with a school administrator a while ago, and the school administrator looked at his or her staff and said, how are we going to make what we're doing now look like we're doing response to intervention? That, that those folks aren't interested in changing anything. They just want to meet a requirement. It is also the truth that many studies and articles about PBIS are largely oriented toward reward and punishment programs. There are PBIS trainers who are primarily of the reward and punishment operant orientation. So I don't think it's an accident here. But technically, PBIS is a framework, a structure, and technically at least, you can do anything within that structure that you want to do. It doesn't have to be a reward and punishment program. It could be solving problems collaboratively. Now to your question. What would I think of using my model at Tier 3? Well, better, better, better some tier than none, but... I don't think we'd be seeing many kids at Tier 3 if we were solving problems collaboratively at Tiers 1 and 2. I don't think solving problems collaboratively is what you do just because rewarding and punishing didn't work. I don't think solving problems collaboratively is sort of the fallback position. I think it's what you do. At tier one, tier two, and tier three. And um once again I would contend that you're gonna see a lot fewer kids at tier three if you're solving problems collaboratively at tiers one and two. Would I do it at tier three if I couldn't get folks to do it anyplace else except tier three, like I said, better there than nowhere. Better there than nowhere. All 
All right, we've got one more excuse me, email that we can answer here. I haven't looked to see if we have any callers. I doubt it, and I'm right. Let's answer one more question, then we'll call it a day. Dr. Green, I'm a first-year teacher assigned to the severe, emotionally challenged classroom at a high school. All my students have behavior intervention plans and IEPs. I teach a social skills class for several of my students and was wondering how I could best use Plan B in this class in terms of regular classroom curriculum. I was also thinking of holding weekly or daily Plan B class group sessions. Could I also meet with the students individually during this class and implement Plan B? Any ideas for regular lessons for this class? I appreciate your help. I'm delighted to offer it. We'll see if you find my help to be helpful. Um, First of all, good for you for being brave. First-year teacher in a severe, emotionally challenged classroom at a high school? You've been thrown into the frying pan. Um, All your students have behavior intervention plans. Let's start there. Uh, Behavior intervention plans focus primarily on behavior. In this model, behavior is the least important part of the picture. In a behavior plan, the behavior is often the most important part of the picture. So that's a problem. Um, It's not the behavior, and it's not extinguishing and replacing the behavior. It's solving the problems that are giving rise to the behaviors. So that is a big, big switch. The raw material that we're focused on is completely different. Problems, not behaviors. What we're working on is completely different. Solving problems, not extinguishing or replacing behaviors. IEPs are fine, fine to memorialize what it is that we're doing with this kid. It's just that, all right, well, another thing. IEPs often have the solution built in. But if we're solving problems collaboratively, how can we know what the solution is before we've actually solved the problem collaboratively with the kid? IEPs usually have solutions built in. The adults decided what the solutions were unilaterally. Um, so, you know, the IEP is great for memorializing that the kid is going to have special ed involvement, but I don't believe in coming up with solutions without the kid's input. I don't believe in coming up with solutions without finding out what's actually getting in the kid's way. All right, so there's we haven't even started to answer your questions yet. You teach a social skills class for several of your students. How could you best use plan B in this class in terms of regular classroom curriculum? Depends on what you mean by that. And you said a little bit about what you mean by that. You were thinking of holding weekly or daily 
Plan B group sessions. Cool. You you so the intent here is to have the class collaboratively solve problems that are affecting the entire group. And I think that the important thing here is a few things. First of all, there are um, problems that are group problems that make sense to discuss within the group. And there are problems that are individual problems that would not make sense to discuss in front of the entire group. I think group problem solving is a wonderful thing. Hard to do, although it's interesting. I've spoken with a few classroom teachers who feel more comfortable solving problems in the group than they do with kids individually. I guess it just depends on what you're comfortable doing. But I've come across a meaningful number of teachers who weren't that comfortable talking with kids individually but were comfortable solving problems within the group. It's great. A lot of people find it to be harder because you've got to teach the kids a lot about how to participate in a discussion. They have to listen to each other. Um, Sometimes they need somebody to keep track of the discussion, sort of a recording secretary, um, listening to each other is the hardest part, taking turns. So there's some skills that have to be built in to be able to solve problems collaboratively in a group, but that that can be done. So I love solving problems that affect the entire group with a collaborative discussion within the group. And I love your idea as well of meeting with students individually and implementing Plan B during that time. Do I think that Plan B, and I don't know if this is what you were asking as it relates to regular lessons. That part, I'm not sure what you're asking there. I wish I had emailed you to clarify it ahead of time. So all those ideas I think are fantastic. Go for it. Regular lessons for the class, that I'm not exactly sure what you're asking, and I'm also not sure how much of solving problems collaboratively makes sense to kids when it's being presented sort of in a more technical way. I'm one of these people who thinks that these things are best learned and practiced in real life. So I guess my response would be, I I don't know if I would have regular lessons focused on solving problems collaboratively in particular. Are there social skills that a meaningful number of kids in the class could be working on? Yes. And I used to teach social skills. This was back in grad school in groups. And the only thing I'd be cautious about there is a lot of people who are very successful at teaching social skills in groups. This was a more sort of um, regimented, circumscribed social skills program where we taught facial recognition one week, uh, recognition of facial expressions one week, um, 
positive assertion skills the next week, negative assertion skills the next week. And I found that um, those didactic lessons weren't tailored enough to the individuals in the group to actually do most of them any good. Number one, whatever skill we were covering that week, some of the kids had that skill, some of the kids didn't. The, The kids who didn't, one week's lesson wasn't enough. So I've always been oriented toward more individualized social skills training where we are targeting one or two social skills specific to each individual. And this can be done in groups, but it's got this is sort of individualizing within the group. Precisely where the group discussion comes in there, you'd have to decide whether some kids were comfortable talking about social skills they were lacking, you'd have to decide in front of the entire group. There are people who do social skills groups quite successfully. There are people who solve problems collaboratively in groups quite successfully. I got an idea. Do what makes the most sense to you. Sounds like you're doing okay already. You're writing in January. You're not threatening to quit. Sounds to me like you're going to be okay. We have um, some people listening who have um, responded to some of the uh, things I have been commenting on here today. Uh, With regard to the first email, we had a similar situation with our child where the teacher was resistant at first to plan B. It takes time. Try drilling down with the teacher to get his or her concerns too. Sometimes you have to try, try again. Thank you for that. Another, it's really important to get the teacher's concerns clarified. Their concerns are legit too. Couldn't agree more. Another, I wish I had noticed these. Um, uh, This was the one related to transitions. You'd want to choose the two or three most important transitions to work on for now so they're not overwhelmed by the totality of them. I agree. Two more. Uh, Plan B is so very important because it helps all people, adults and children, to be listened to and to be understood. Last one. If you're reaching Tier 3, doesn't that mean that PBIS isn't working? Well, no, it means that Tier 1 didn't get the job done and Tier 2 didn't get the job done. People would say that PBIS is working because... PBIS offers Tier 3. means that the interventions that you're applying aren't working. That's for sure. You know, I was just in um, Scandinavia last week. I spoke in Oslo, Norway one day, and Helsinki, Finland two days in front of about 200 people uh, in Helsinki, maybe about 150 in Oslo. How nice it is that in in touch with people all over the world lately about coming to their neck of the woods and 
helping people learn more about solving problems collaboratively, how gratifying it is that the word is getting out, that being collaborative instead of unilateral, viewing challenging behaviors through the prism of lagging skills rather than lagging motivation is starting to catch on. That being a kid's ally rather than his enemy, being partners rather than adversaries is the way to go. These are exciting times we live in. We've never known more about behaviorally challenging kids than we do now. This is as good as it's ever been in human evolution. We know more now than we ever have at any other point in human evolution about behaviorally challenging kids. And we know more about how to help them. It's all about relationship, communication, collaboration, being proactive. No program next week because of President's Day here in the U.S. of A, but I'll be back on February 25th with another Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students. I can't wait. Talk to you then. This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash, hmm, you can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.